portion, a small portion of what you've given to us so that good news of Jesus can be spread around the world, including this community. We thank you for that opportunity. We thank you for the uh, uh, joy of giving back to you in this way. And we ask this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, the edge is dismissed. I was praying for you as uh, we were singing this morning. I would fix on one of your faces and I would just ask God's blessing. There's a few of you sitting here that I think probably don't understand the Lord's will for your life. You don't know who he is. And, and I just kind of uh, singled you out too and prayed that that realization would take place. I mean, it's, it's really that important. And then as we got to the Lord's Supper, uh, that always snaps me back. I don't know about you guys, but it always snaps me back. I hold those elements and it's this isn't just going through the motions for me. Not the songs, not the Lord's Supper, none of that is. I mean, it, it just brings me back to the, the centered point. And I hold that little piece of bread stained with the blood of the Lord, and I, I just see him that night of his betrayal, talking to his disciples. And I think, what a horrific sacrifice he was about to make. And every time I take the cup and I taste of that, that, that juice, it's like he's handing it to me. And, and our eyes meet in that moment. And I mean, it's very convicting, very challenging to me. I hope it is for you too. Because, you know, we come here not just simply to punch our card, but we come here to recenter our soul and to connect with our brothers and sisters here. And there's just no, there is no substitute for that. You know that, don't you? I mean, it's not for no reason that God's word says, do not stop meeting together. Irrespective of any disease or pandemic or war or suffering, because they had all those things back in Paul's day, right? Don't stop meeting together. You need each other, your family. You need to be centered every time you get together. You need that. God says so. So don't, don't neglect that. So here we go. We're, we're ready to look back at God's Word again. And uh, I, I tell you what, this is always intimidating for me. Um, the day I preach my last sermon, I'm going to sigh a sigh of relief. Do I think that God grades these? Oh, you bet I do. Wow. Do I think you grade these? <laughs> That's a different issue. It's a big deal, folks. Here we go. Let's engage ourselves once more with the Word of God, okay? We ready to do that work together? Okay. Let's do it. So I want, to, I want you to get a picture in your mind now. Okay, are you ready? So you're standing before Christ on the day of your judgment. 
How do you envision that moment? What's the expression on Jesus' face? What do you fear? What do you hope for right there in that moment? Now, up to this point, Jesus has been informing us of the circumstances of his return. I mean, if you look at the 24th chapter, that really is the, the thrust of it. What will the circumstances be when Jesus returns? What's going to happen? It's certain. We've established that. It is preceded by events that have already found fulfillment. It will be sudden and unexpected. Its exact timing is known to no man. Those are the circumstances. But now Jesus changes the subject from the circumstances of his return to our personal preparation for it. Are you ready? And how do you know if you're ready? Yeah, get personal. Now he's going to give three separate parables for our benefit as we wrap up with chapter 24 and head into chapter 25. Three stories that reflect truth. And each of them contain a good example of preparedness and a bad example of the failure to do so. That's what we want to look for as we go forward. Listen, Jesus wants you to be ready. Now, given the fact that we obviously still have the advantage of time, at least this very moment in which we find ourselves, we need to take the greatest advantage of the opportunity to learn Jesus' lessons of preparedness for the day of his return. For us as his disciples, that moment is one where I think those of us who would claim to be his disciples in this room long to hear a simple statement. Well done good and faithful servant. So how appropriate then that Jesus would ask this question, listen to what he asks. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom the master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. Faithful. And a couple of words in that opening statement or question by Jesus catch our attention. Faithful, faithful and wise. What is that? I mean, we throw around the word faithful all the time, almost without thinking. Keep the faith. Well, you got to be faithful, right? You know, only the faithful. But we don't, we just don't spend enough time defining what it means to be faithful. So what does it mean? There's a couple of things that I think we need to really focus on. They're actually contained in the Greek word itself. The first is believing. 
Yeah, we're down with that. We have that one pretty well figured out, believing. But we think it's just believing a set of facts. But I'm telling you right now, faith and being faithful is far more than just believing a set of facts. It's actually believing that the Master's word is true. Draw yourself back into the, the parable that Jesus is giving us here. You know, sadly today, I think too many people don't even think that truth exists. In, in its place, for them, it's all about opinion and the power to enforce it. Kind of like Pilate, remember? What is truth? Does it even exist? Is it even something that's real? You hear so many things. We have a very cynical generation, don't we? Doesn't trust anything and doesn't believe anything. Why? Been lied to too much. You feel like that, you? You've been lied to too much. You've been sold a bill of goods. I tell you what, the faithful servant is the one who actually believes the master's words. And if you are of that cynical school of thought that just says, you know, there's nothing true anymore, I would encourage you to just give up on what people say. Go ahead and give up on what people say. It's all right. I give you permission. But trust what God says. Trust the master's word. He is trustworthy. That's really part of what being faithful is about. You know, God's word is true in the most pure sense. It stands on its own. It never fails and it never goes away. You want to know the test of truth? It was true yesterday. It's true today. And guess what? It's going to be true tomorrow. That is the acid test for truth. It's not like a fashion statement. It doesn't change it may go in and out of popularity, but I'll tell you one thing, it does not change. It's always true. Faithful means believing the master's words, but it also means trusting that the master's word is best. How do you know? How do you know if you really trust that the master's word is best? What's the test? I mean, for you personally, any idea? It's real simple. I can put it in one word. Obedience. Obedience. You see, obedience to the master's instruction is the best evidence of real trust. God says it. I believe it. And to prove it, I'm going to act on it. It's going to set my priorities. It's going to make my decisions for me. Obedience. How much of that do you have? It belongs right there at the very core of the faithful servant. You know, elsewhere Jesus stated the concept negatively when he said this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? <laughs> Sounds like something mom or dad would say to you while you're growing up, right? You know, why, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? I don't trust you. That's really the bottom line is, isn't it? You know, if we fail to obey God, it's just, it's just simply we don't believe him. We don't trust him. But the faithful servant trusts the master's word. There's one more thing that I would say is bound up in this word faithful, and that is loyalty to the master. So what is loyalty? Well, kind of already looked at it. It's loyalty that obeys regardless of understanding. 
I watch people deal with that. You know, well, well, if I understand and I agree with you, then I'm going to obey. Well, that's one thing if you're saying that to me. It's completely something else if you're saying that to God. I've got to have it all figured out, and it has to make sense to me, or I'm not doing it. But loyalty says, listen, even when I don't understand, exactly at that moment is the moment I'm going to go forward and obey. That's called loyalty. Loyalty obeys regardless of understanding. Loyalty also follows through in the face of personal sacrifice. You know, there is a price tag hanging off of everything in life. Have you noticed that? Hello? Somebody breathe for me just so that I know you're still out there. Okay? Really, isn't there a price tag on everything that you pursue in life? So what happens when the price tag gets a little heavy? You know, and there's that obedience thing, and you know God's calling you to do something, and you look at it and go, well, I don't know about that price tag. Loyalty follows through even when the price tag takes your breath away. And loyalty, loyalty prioritizes. It prioritizes the master's agenda above above that of self. What do you do when you get up in the morning? Well, what do I want to do today? What do I want to eat for breakfast? Where do I want to go? (laughs) Is that what you do? Or how about this one? Before you get up, before your feet even hit the floor, Lord, I can't navigate one step out of my bed unless you order it for me. Because I know me, and I'm not that smart, and you are the all-knowing one, and I submit to you. I'm loyal to you. I just need, I just need the text message from heaven. Lord, whatever it is, I want you to set my priorities for this day. That's loyalty. In the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul speaks of the importance of faithfulness in light of the the coming judgment before Jesus. This is right where we are in Jesus' parable. So listen to what Paul says to the Corinthians. So then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. That's talking about you and me. That's how big a deal this is. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. See, we're right back there, standing before Jesus, and it's our judgment day. And the question is, have we been faithful? Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes And he'll bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. Did a chill just run up your spine? At that time, each will receive his praise from God. Faithful. Faithful. But there's that second word, wise. What is wise? Well, it's the servant who knows the best practice. You know, in the business world, they talk about that an awful lot. You know, what's best practice? Are you exercising best practice? And whether it's a trade or whether it's a, uh, you know, a profession that you're in, there, there's a whole set of things that come under the heading of best practice. You do the, the right thing. 
you know, the wise servant knows that list of best practices. There's, that's just kind of one of these universally applicable uh, truisms. And it applies to our Christian faith as well. There are best practices for the Christian faith that allow us to be wise and faithful. And that faithful servant knows them. But he also knows something else. He knows that there is an accountability coming. You have an appointment to keep. I have an appointment to keep. And it may be when Jesus returns, and no man knows that hour, but I tell you what, if it's not the second coming, as I've said to you before, it will be your first going. There is an appointment that you are scheduled to keep. And Jesus wants you to be ready. The wise, faithful servant lives his life knowing that one day he's going to keep that appointment and there'll be no delay. You know, on the day of judgment, I don't want to just get by by the grace of God. Do you? I think some people kind of have that strategy. You know, if I could just sneak under the tent... Listen, the blood of Christ shed for us frees the disciple from the fear of that moment. Thank God. But neither do I want to disappoint my Savior for having failed in wise exercise of faithfulness. I don't want him to be embarrassed, and I don't want him to be embarrassed. Do you? Jesus gives us two powerful examples that I think are going to help us to avoid being a disappointment to Jesus. Like I said, what's, what's that expression on his face as you envision yourself standing there on your personal judgment day? Is he confused as to why you're standing there looking so confident? Is he sad? Is he happy to see you? Well, he goes on to say that the faithful servant is... A servant of servants. Look what he says there. This servant, the faithful servant, gives to his fellow servants their food at the proper time. So there's some interesting things here. Although this servant is the man in charge, he doesn't fail to understand that he's got a responsibility here. He uses his delegated power for the benefit of others to give them their food at the proper time. That's what the faithful servant does. And although he's the man in charge, he realizes that he, too, is a servant to the master. Humility is the word. He's a servant of servants. Remember what Jesus said? The greatest among you will be... Somebody say it out loud. The servant of all the servant of all. The greatest among you will be the servant of all. Jesus brings that out right here in this parable about preparedness. He says, listen, you want to be ready? Be the servant of all. Be a servant of servants. Be faithful. But the faithful servant is also diligent in carrying out his work. He has a standard. Do it right. And do it right the first time. When was the last time you ran into somebody who provided a service for you that didn't do it right? Uh, let alone do it right the first time. 
You know, I, I do a lot of stuff for myself. You know, I fix a lot of stuff. Not because I, I necessarily like doing that. But I have paid good money in times past to watch somebody do it to half my standard. And I've regretted that. Anybody else? <laughs> you walk away, you go, Gee, I could have done that for nothing. Well, so here's this faithful servant. He's diligent. He's diligent in the way he carries out work. There's one standard for him. Do it right and do it right the first time. Why? Because his motive for what he does is his call from God upon his life. That's why. Now listen to this. Paul writes to the Colossians and he really talks about this kind of a servant attitude. Listen to what he says here. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it. Boy, there's an there's a instruction, right? I, for the life of me, do not understand why employers put up with people who, when they give them a direction, they get an argument in return. Have you ever worked with somebody like that? I see some of the snickering from some of the studio audience this morning. Yeah! I like what the God's Word says here. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it! Maybe you're one of those who needs to go into this week and, you know, when your employer looks at you and says to do something, do it! There's a practical instruction. But he goes on and he starts talking about motive. Not only when their eye is on you to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. You mean Sunday? Sunday morning impacts Monday morning? Exactly. Exactly it does. Whatever you, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Not that guy who signs your paycheck. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So when you go to work tomorrow, you're going to work for Jesus. That's exactly what he says. That is the faithful servant attitude that is diligent in carrying out his work. It's what helps us get ready when Jesus comes back. And it helps us not to disappoint him when we stand before him in that moment. Having done that, having been wise and faithful, Jesus says the blessing comes. You know, it's, it's interesting when Jesus talks about blessing. Each of Jesus' parables, this is just the first of three that we're looking at, each of Jesus' parables on preparation for his return speak of blessing for those who are found ready. Frankly, they all talk about those who are ready. They talk about those who aren't ready, and they talk about the blessing for those who are ready. You know, in the case of the faithful and wise servant, Jesus says that the master returns and sets that servant over all his possessions. And he gets into that a little bit more as we look at the second and third parable that Jesus gives. Now remember, faithfulness to God always has a price tag attached to it. It is a hard path at sometimes. It is. It's a hard path. Jesus said it was the narrow way. And it sometimes costs the disciple every earthly thing. But blessing awaits across the finish line. 
as the Apostle Paul put it to the Corinthians, he said this, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, and buddy, I got a good imagination, what God has prepared for those who love him. Does that get you excited about being faithful to the Master? I I sure hope it does. Because that day when we stand before Jesus, don't you long to see a smile come across his face and hear him say, well done. Good and faithful, wise servant. Well, chapter 2. <laughs> We've got to talk about the wicked. Jesus talks about the wicked. Let's see what he has to say. But if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour that he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I do not want to end this message with this list. But Jesus didn't ask me. So I'm going to try to make this as painless as possible. But but I tell you what, I want to be true to what Jesus is saying. Look at the things that he says Mark the wicked. There's one, two, three, four, five, five things. Look at the first one. He is opportunistic. My master is delayed. Oh, boy, lucky me. He's going to be out of town a little bit longer. You know, the faithful servant says this. He asks this question of himself when he goes to work every day. What can I do? What can I do? You know, that just about gives an employer a heart attack when you walk up to him and say, you know what, I, I, I ran out of things to do. What can I do? But the wicked servant says this, what can I get away with? <laughs> My master is delayed. Oh, man, he's an opportunist. Ooh. You see, the wicked servant has an internal motive to sin. Why is that? This ain't real tough. The wicked servant has an internal motive to sin because it's what he really wants to do. (laughs) No big mystery there. I mean, if you want to know what people really want to do, take all restraint off of them. Just put them in a room and let them think that, you know what, nobody will ever see. Nobody will ever know. They'll do exactly what they want to do. That's the wicked servant. That's his motivation. The wicked servant only does the right thing when he knows that his master's looking. And he does it to avoid trouble. Not to please his master. His only true loyalty is to himself. Doesn't this sound like an inversion of what we just looked at with a faithful and wise servant? Sadly, there's a popular phrase to describe this kind of attitude. It's called looking out for... Number one, yeah. Now the world says that that is smart. It's the smart thing to do. But God calls it out for what it really is. It's wicked. That's just wicked. Aren't you being a little harsh? No, I think I'm actually being a little understated. What else about this guy? He's abusive. He begins to beat his fellow servants. How's he abusive? 
Well, I mean, obviously, he's abusing his master's trust. He leaves him in charge and, and expects him to do the right thing, and he doesn't do the right thing. He abuses the master's trust and does the wrong thing. My master's delayed in his return. He abuses his master's trust. I tell you what, from a guy's perspective, that breaks the honor code. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Trust. He's abusive of his delegated authority. Yeah, boy, that was a big mistake for the boss to put power in his hands because, I mean, I just turned him into a tyrant. We've seen that before. Give a little man just a little bit of authority and unleash him, and boy, I tell you what, he'll turn into Adolf Hitler. Yeah. And then, probably the most obvious thing about this guy, this abusive guy, is he abuses his fellow servants. You know, true leaders of the master's flock lead and feed, lead and feed. They don't beat sheep. Sadly, some people think that that's what leadership is about. You know, I'm in charge around here. It's going to be my way. Uh, that's the abusive servant. Well, as long as we're talking this guy up, he's degenerate as well. <laughs> I told you I didn't want to end this message this way, but I don't. You know, just got to tell it like it is. I mean, he drinks with drunkards. I suppose that's kind of, you know, inherent, you know, if you're going to go drink with somebody, Right? Yeah, I'm going to go drinking. We're completely sober. No, it doesn't work that way. I didn't think it worked that way. Drinks with drunkards. So what can we say of this uh, wicked servant? Well, he chooses his companions poorly. I love what God's Word says. Don't be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. But see, we just think that we are just a little bit fireproof, don't we? I can go and I can do that. It's not going, no, you know, it's a mission. Okay. Uh, God's word says, careful, careful here. Bad company, bad company. It's hard on good morals. And not only does he choose his companions poorly, but he chooses his conduct poorly. His choice to drunkenness, what happens when you get drunk? Come on, somebody help me out here. <laughs> oh, preacher, I see your little trap. What happens when you get drunk? Not that anybody in this room has ever been inebriated in any way, shape, or form. What happens? Dear brother, how would you know about any of this? <laughs> I love you. Way to, way to step right in. <laughs> yeah, well, let's put it this way. When you become inebriated, you become insensitive, don't you? It's, it's like anesthetic to the, to the mind and to the emotions and to the perceptions, you know. I've always said, you know, if, if you're going to put a drink to your lips, and no, I don't think that putting a drink to your lips per se is a sin. I do know that God's Word says drunkenness is a sin. But if you choose to put a drink to your lips, let me ask you to ask yourself a question. Would you do this, you know, if you're one of those who does this on a regular basis, just ask yourself a question. Why? That's all. And you don't need to report back to me. Just, just answer the question. 
if it has anything to do with modifying your state, your mental state, or your emotional state, or your spiritual state, I would encourage you with one word. Stop! <laughs> okay? Because uh. this is what happens when we allow ourselves to become inebriated or desensitized. We, we become insensitive to immorality. The wrong thing just doesn't really bother us anymore. We become insensitive to duty. This guy did. He starts beating on his fellow servants. He's abused the master's trust. We become insensitive to our fellow men. What happens is they're no longer people with feelings and needs that God's called us to be aware of and sensitive to in the most positive way. They become obstacles to our goal, things that get in the way. That's what happened with this guy. Listen, don't be fooled. The high life always leads to the low life. And most people learn it too late. Maybe you're sitting here this morning, a stupid preacher, as he now. Okay. You just do the backstroke and all that arrogance of yours. I can't stop you. I wish I could. But when you get to that point, and maybe it'll be a point too late for you, I want you to remember what I said. I hope that you come to this conclusion before that. I would that you would come to that conclusion right now. Well, what else can we say about this character? He's oblivious. His preoccupation with his own selfish agenda has robbed him of the awareness of his master's return. Remember Gullum? How many of you know Gollum? Gollum? Okay, three. That was a lousy illustration. Lord of the Rings. He little little guy who once was beautiful and kind of cute, turns ugly and possessed with the one thing, his precious. The man just becomes absolutely oblivious to everything around him. He's really a tragic figure if you've watched the how long is that? It's like thirty hours long. Jesus is coming back. And if you're sitting there playing with your precious, whatever it might be, uh, 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 don't, don't be like this, this guy. Oblivious. And as a result, he ends up punished. Cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. Zechariah the prophet says this, Woe to my worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. I, have you ever been struck with a sword? I guess it's a little out of fashion these days, but I got news for you. You get struck with a sword on your arm, your arm's probably going to separate from your body. Or if somebody sticks that point of that sword in your eyeball, you're probably going to lose an eye, right? Let his arm be wholly withered and his right eye utterly blinded. 
Now, here's the picture that we've got. I, I get this too. So, and, and I like this picture. Jesus, what? No, no. Jesus, not baby Jesus, but Jesus holding the what? Oh, that precious little lamb. And, we, you know, we think that that's me. Jesus is holding me, that precious little lamb. What do we not see? I mean, what do we choose not to see? Not Jesus holding a lamb, but Jesus holding a chainsaw. <laughs> That's a disturbing picture. Take it up with him. It's his parable. He shows up and catches this wicked servant doing his wicked things. And what does he do? Anybody? He gets out of the chainsaw. That's disturbing. Ugh, that is disturbing. I mean, we love to focus on the mercy and grace of God, as we should. Amen. It is that grace and mercy that gives us our only standing in his presence on that day when we will personally face judgment. It is what prompts the gratitude that motivates our faithful service. You know, we can do this one of two ways, the hard way or the easy way. I'd much rather be appreciative of what Jesus has done for me, motivated by gratitude to do his will and be that faithful servant and to hear those words, good job. But on the other hand, we ought not forget that his judgment against those who choose the path of unfaithful rebellion is real. You know, if God were to turn a blind eye to wickedness, he would no longer be the good God that he is. The day of Christ's return will either be a day of mercy or a day of judgment, depending upon the path you choose and the preparations you make. It's up to you. God's done his part. Choosing Christ and preparing for his return through faithful and wise service is the path that leads to his promised blessing. Did you get that message this morning? I hope you did, because that's the only point. And we're going to see a couple more of Jesus' lessons because he wants us to be ready. Could it be this afternoon? Could it even be before we leave this building? I think everything is lined up and ready to go. So, are you prepared? I hope that the answer is that. Listen, if you have any doubt whatsoever as to whether or not you're ready, can we have a conversation? Can we just, you know, even before you leave here today, say, can we get together and talk? Because the answer will be, sure, let's do it. Let's have that conversation. Because I, along with Jesus, want you to be prepared too. Let's all stand as we sing one more time. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our way. While we do His good will, He abides with us still, and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way. To be 
happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Father, we pray that as we go into this week, order our steps. May your spirit have his way with our 